Welcome to the Startup Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Nick O'Neill, and this is episode number six. Today, I spoke with Tommy Walker of Conversion XL. We discussed how they grew their blog to hundreds of thousands of visitors through setting incredibly high standards, and we discussed how they continue to meet those standards again and again. I learned a ton from speaking with Tommy, and I'm sure you'll learn a ton too. So let's get started. How's it going, Tommy? Not too bad. How are you today, Nick? I'm doing great. So I wanted to start things off by finding out, how did you end up at Conversion XL? <laughs> I, um, about a year ago, so last March, I had just finished up a contract with a client who um, decided that they weren't going to pay on time, and then they were paying late, and then they decided that they weren't going to pay at all, and I would fired the con- uh, client, and um, I had one other full-time client at the time, but I was trying to support my family off of like half of my income. And uh, it got to the point where I actually was really concerned that my whole marketing career was kind of over because I was um, not able to land a new client in the time I needed, but also um, like regular jobs, right? Like the, the just normal jobs out there in the real world, they weren't hiring either because I've been working for myself for about five years. And they were like, we don't know if you're gonna be a good team player. So I said, well, the only thing I have left to do is to start slinging blog posts for a couple hundred bucks a piece. And I you know, went to the pro blogger uh, uh, job board, found that this guy named Peep was uh, hiring, uh, for looking for a blogger, paying 200 bucks an article. And I submitted my first post and he said that it wasn't uh, gonna work for his blog. And I said, well, what am I gonna do with it? Because I spent a really long time putting it together. And uh, he said, well, you should, you should submit it over to Smashing, write another article. I said, I gotta write another article for you because I need, I need the money. And uh, I did, and it was actually one of the higher trafficked articles that, uh, of that time period. So I was like, okay, cool. So I started churning out more articles for him. Meanwhile, I submitted this other article over to Smashing Magazine, worked with them for a few months to get that piece up to their standards. And, um, you know, I start. I just kept cranking out content for Pep. Uh, learned that it wasn't actually Peep. It was his name is Pep, and uh, and just started cranking that stuff out. And at the end of the year, um, he sent me an email that said, "Congratulations, you had the number one most trafficked article on the site and the number one uh, six most trafficked article on the site for 2013." And I said, "That's fantastic. I want to be your editor." And we started off the new year uh, where I was the editor. I became the editor of Conversion XL. That is awesome. So actually, I just realized that what we didn't say was what Conversion XL is. So if you, if you don't know what Conversion XL is, you need to be on their site reading their blog because they just have phenomenal content. Now, thanks to Tommy, that continues. And what, what else do you guys do? Uh, Conversion XL is primarily focused on performance-driven content, right? So there's a lot of advice and fluffiness that's out there when it comes to, you know, you should do this or people think you should do that. And one of our main uh, standards for the site is to make sure that you can either back it up with a case study, you can tell me why because of uh, psychology um, or something that's documented in that case, or you, you, you basically have to back it up. It's not just a matter of I think, I feel, but it's like because of this, because of that, I can show you concrete evidence of why these principles are. I tell uh, my writers on a regular basis now, um, don't tell me the what, tell me the why. Or not just the what, tell me the why as well. Um, so for example, uh, I wrote an article back in November called Why Simple Websites Are Scientifically Better. And instead of going, you know, flat design's great and people like it, it's like flat design's great and in this lab study by Google, they found that first impressions were made in one fiftieth of a second. and 
you know, in this other study, it found that less visually complex sites are, you know, preferred over, and it, it just, it puts things into a much um, more concrete perspective, and it, and it gives you, a, uh, we try to make it so um, you're not just going off of someone's hunches, but you're actually going off of real scientific research that's out there. And we want, and we want for our visitors and we want for our readers to, um, I, I think at the end of every article, you should be able to go, okay, I now know what I should do and, and have an idea of how to implement it and also sell it to my boss if I need to sell it to my boss. That makes a ton of sense. And what it really is, is practical advice on driving results on the marketing front. And that's exactly what this podcast is about. So it's perfect that you're on here. So what I wanted to discuss is since you're the editor there is how you drive these phenomenal results but actually when i say phenomenal results can we actually quantify what that means sure so we average about 120 to 150,000 visitors a month um and it's not too uncommon that we have pieces uh get anywhere between 1500 to you know uh, i think the highest tweet count we have right now is i think right around the 3000 mark so like we're, we're, we're getting quite a bit of traffic and we're, we're looking to, by the end of, we're, we're, we're aiming for a million visitors a month. And I, I think we have the talent and the, uh, the resources in place as we're getting our infrastructure better on the publishing side. I think we're going to be able to do it. That's awesome. So let's actually try to break down some of the strategies that you're using to get these results. So what would you say is sort of the fundamental base of what makes Conversion Excel a successful site? Well, I mean, a lot of it comes down to the content and the research that we have and um, really strict editorial policies that were started by Pep and now enforced by me and uh, hated by most of the writers that write for us because we end up going through like two or three revisions at least before something gets published. Our minimum word count is 1,850 words uh, because that gives you plenty of time to unpack, the con unpack a concept. We require that you have scientific research, case studies, and uh, anything that is provable to back up your theories. And we require that there are charts, graphs, and screenshots in order to give concrete evidence of what it is that we're talking about. So we try to do that every two to three paragraphs um, and a new subheader every two to three paragraphs as well. If it's not possible, then it's broken up with actual uh, you know, like pie charts and graphs and whatnot. And really the whole purpose is, it, it's a lot more work. It sometimes can take anywhere between 30 to, I, I spent up to 50 hours on a single piece. Um, it takes a lot more work, but by the time it's all done, um, my hope is, is that the writer has both learned something and the person who's reading it on the other side has a, a much deeper knowledge. I don't want people to walk away from the site going, okay, well now what, what comes next? I want people to walk away and go, I pretty much know everything I need to know about this to at least pitch it to my boss if, if it's something that, you know, they're working with a bigger company or uh, to be able to um, execute on, on their own or at least have a, a, a much better place to start. And I think that that's resonated really well with our readers because, you know, uh, our, our promotion strategy up until this point has really just been contacting the people that we've linked to and saying, hey, I've linked to your post over here. Um, thanks for helping contribute to this article. Uh, I'd like if you could take a look and if you like what you see, please, you know, share with your readers. Um, and that's helped out immensely because we try to make it as thorough as possible. So it almost sounds like you guys are having 
a shortened PhD thesis written uh, with the level of uh, standards that you've set here with documentation, pictures of uh, or screenshots of charts and other sort of proof and validation that this advice is actually true. Yeah, yeah. There was actually one uh, one article. I, I I think it was the testimonials article that we wrote um, back in. Uh, it was earlier this year. I don't remember. I think April, where I had crunched six academic studies in the in in like really compressed all the information that I found in each one of those, made them all tie together um, in eight hundred words. Wow. And. Uh, and I mean, I, I, I read these studies. It's not just a matter of going like, oh, I, I, I found the study that kind of supports it. Like, I read the study, and it's really hard to read academic studies sometimes because uh, they're not writers. <laughs> um, so I will read that stuff and make sure that um, that I'm pulling out the, the correct insights from that and, uh, and, and trying to pull out what I found from there and then translate that into normal people speak and then make it so, you know, people can understand it. Um, but yeah, eight, eight different academic studies and or six, six academic studies in 800 words. It was my head hurt by the time I was done writing those paragraphs. I mean, that sounds excruciatingly painful, <laughs> but, uh, okay. So what you actually started moving towards and real quick, I just want to summarize. So the first sort of base sure. of your success at conversion Excel is really the standards that you've set for the quality of your content. What you started yep. to sort of dive in there, it sounds like, is the research aspect and how you're coming up with this content. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So including academic research into an article, um, especially if you're in something like the, if you're in like the consulting game, um, or you're trying to you know grab clients or anything or things like that. It's really easy to fall into a trap of uh, putting just just falling in the trap of like sending studies out there, right? I'm just gonna show you a bunch of studies, and then you know hopefully you get my point by the end of it. And uh, for me, one of the major things that I try to do is not just have this research, but also make it tell a story, right? Like I said, it's not just the what, it's the why, and then having all this stuff tied together. I'm not sure I'm answering the question, Nick. You'd mentioned before in our uh, pre-call that you do a lot of research in order to drive the content or come up with the content uh, for your site. What is that process like? Yeah, so um, most of the time I'll, I'll have an idea of what I want to write to write about. So we'll talk about uh, call tracking, for example. Um, and I'm coming at it from the perspective of like, you have probably very no idea of what call tracking actually is. And then I try to use the research to tell this story of like, okay, this is what it is. This is how you can use it. This is how it's worked for other people. Um, and these are the reasons why. Uh, for the most part, it's about telling a story. And that takes an incredible amount of time to master, right? So I'm, I've, been, I've been getting feedback lately that, you know, the stuff that we're creating is, is really great. And, and I think that's, that's awesome. But it really does just come down to asking yourself, what kind of story do I want to tell here? What am I trying to, uh, what are the nuggets that I want to give the reader? Um, and what do I want them to walk away from? And then finding the stuff that supports that and, and trying to tell a balanced story as well, right? It's very easy to fall into a bias when you, when you have some of this stuff. So a lot of online marketing advice I, I find is um, idyllic, right? You hear people go like, get on Facebook and start responding to comments and, 
you know, start talking about this sort of idyllic scenario where everything is all hunky-dory, happy daisies, and uh, and that's not necessarily the case, right? What we've what what the environment of the online marketing community, what a lot of it's been created, is this sort of um, world where it's like, well, try this, and then it should work because you know, if you include numbers in your headlines, then your headlines are going to convert better, and it's like that's not always the case. So we try to give that sort of perspective of like, here's what we're trying to tell you, but also realize the situations where that's not necessarily the case as well. So you can come make your own decisions as to whether or not that's going to work for you. Now, when you start off with uh, with an article concept, and let's say you're writing on Google Analytics and you want to craft this article on a specific topic. Are you always an expert ahead of time on these topics? Rarely ever am I an expert on these topics. I have enough functional knowledge of online marketing that I can run my own consultancy. I've, I'm working with the agency now. And it depends. I mean, it really does depend. So um, in some cases, yes, I'm very knowledgeable in that area. And in other cases, I'm using what I know and what I've seen um, and just uh, experience in heuristics to uh, apply that to what I'm learning here about this and, and, and then taking what I've learned in that article as I'm creating it to my own practice. But the answer is, I mean, no, because we cover a lot of stuff that's like, we cover a wide range of topics, right? We've talked to anything about, we've talked about Google Analytics, we've talked about AdWords, we've talked about video production for explainer videos and things like that. But in the cases where I'm not fully an expert, I try to research it to the point where I would at least know how to have an intelligent conversation with the person on the other side. And I also can have that information validated by somebody who is an expert who may also contribute um, to the article itself. Um, and if it's something that's completely outside of my own scope or my writer's scope, then I say we need to find another writer who is an expert in this area uh, so we're not putting out misinformation because that's also just as dangerous. Got it. And is there a process that you actually, or any sort of standard process that you implement for performing research in order to write these articles? Most of the time, the research is being, for me anyways, the research is being performed um, as I'm writing the article and telling the story. Um, that's part of what contributes to such a long production time in some cases, because it's really hard to find some of that research. Um, and for other people, for one of my other writers, he, um, he actually prefers to do the outline first and then fill in the blanks with the research there. My own personal process with this stuff is I, if I find myself going, people like simple websites, for example, I'm going to find research that actually supports that. So I'm not just making a generalized statement. I'm, I'm saying, um, you know, people like simple websites. That sentence gets translated to in a lab study by such and such. You know, and then they surveyed this many people and, and then it becomes a real statement instead of just me going people like, because then what you find in that research too, is that the, it's kind of this back and forth between my own storytelling and the research that I find, right? So I go, people like simple websites, find the research. And then I go, well, actually in the 45 to 55 crowd, they found that simplicity was uh, more preferred than people who were in the 13 to 17 category. Right now, you get a much more complete picture, and if you're a uh, if you're a company that's trying to target you know 15 to 17 year olds, and you've been hearing just out there in the world, you know simple websites are better. But it's like, but I have kids coming to my website, and they like cartoons. Um, you don't feel so like 
distant from the information that it, the marketing community at large is, is kind of putting out there. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I can actually sort of visualize what is taking place here. So you come up with an idea as simple as simple websites, and then you go and find a bunch of data research uh, that has been done on explaining the power of simple websites, and then compile that into an article, which, as you said before, is only a couple of paragraphs separate or a couple of paragraphs separated by subheadings with charts and other things which have shown up from those studies and compiled into a piece, which you then eventually publish. Does the title come first? Um, I create a working title first, just so I keep myself kind of in check. But uh, I actually have a personal policy of creating about 25. I, I follow the upworthy advice there of creating about 25 and then um, distill those down. And now I actually use, um, we just started using uh, Noah Kagan's King Sumo headline tester app, um, which allows me to switch out which headline, it, it automatically um, switches out which headlines are displayed and then we'll uh, show more of the one that's getting the more clicks. The only one issue that I've run into with headline testing is the sharing online. Does it create a separate URL for each of these headlines or is it a random headline each time? It's a custom URL at the end. Um, and that's something that I know Noah's team is actively working on right now to sort of rectify and bring all of those shares into one place. Um, but what I found is that because the headline optimizes itself, that the one that's getting the most shares, like the one that's getting the most clicks is obviously the one that gets the most shares. And we're talking sometimes like our pieces get anywhere between can get can get anywhere between 200 to 300 shares. And if, you know, 25 of those are being brought over to another place, uh, you know, being counted on another uh, URL, it, I'm getting the better performing headline. So it becomes kind of this minimal, it, it becomes a non-issue because you're looking at a very small amount of people. And that headline, if that headline's not performing well on your website, chances are likely it's not going to perform well over social media. So you're not really missing out on a lot of traffic that way either. See what I'm saying? Yep. Because it works on um, it works on a banded algorithm, which is really fun and really cool. But I don't know, you know, if we want to talk about banded algorithms here. No. <laughs> we'll we'll leave the science up to the scientists. So what we've gone over so far is sort of the standards that you set, uh, the research process that you go to, which really involves finding scientific studies that back up and explain a lot of the concepts that you're looking to discuss in your content on Conversion Excel. Yeah. So I want to I want to back up for a second too to the standards because I, I, I'm, I'm getting really into this stuff. Um, I think it's really important for a, a person who's creating a website um, to set that sort of standard for themselves early and not publish if they feel like they're not reaching it. Um, and that's really counter to some of the advice that's out there. Right. The, the Internet, the marketing community at large and, and a lot of us kind of do that, like fail fast and, and publish frequently. Um, but I feel like that is, you know, you and I were talking about microphones and, and, you know, making sure that the audio quality for this podcast was good before we got on. And there's something to be said about production values. And if you feel like your own content isn't meeting a production value where you go, I would want to read this again later on down the road. I read some of the pieces that I wrote six months ago and I still learned something new from them because I'm coming at it from a different perspective. If you don't have that sort of standard ahead of time, then why should people read you, right? You have to be able to meet a standard that is kind of high 
um, and make it worth people's time. And if you feel like it's not worth anyone's time, if you don't want to read it again, you shouldn't publish it. I When I edit an article and when I edit my own pieces, I am literally looking at every single word and figuring out, is this the right word to convince or uh, to, to convey the message that I'm trying to convey? And when I edit, I edit line by line. If the first line doesn't bring me into the second line and I don't keep reading, the moment I disengage, I go, this section needs to be rewritten. Because that's, people's time is super precious right now and it's only getting worse. And if you're not producing content that is up to a standard that is high value, I mean, high value, high quality, then you're, you're, you're just hurting yourself in the long run because what you're, what you're trying to save time on there, you're going to have to make up on distribution and promotion. And you can, if you improve your base at the first, in the first place, then the distribution and the promotion comes a lot easier. If you're not doing that in the first place, then you have to work extra hard to get more people to see it. See what I mean? Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, I've gone uh, the other approach with uh, past publications that I had where we didn't set the standard. And as you mentioned, a lot of the time was focused on distribution. Fortunately for me, that happens to be one of my primary strengths. But but at the same time, when those high quality articles did come out, they just such dramatically outperformed uh, the other stuff that it makes a lot of sense, everything that you're saying. And so uh, I will say, you know, Conversion XL and a lot of the other publications that I see coming out now, they've sort of raised the bar that you need to reach with when it comes to a lot of this content. And you're seeing that take place over time with a lot of these online publications. Mm-hmm. And, and having distribution is just as important, right? Because if, if you, fall, you, you get into that tree falls into a wood scenario, right? We've kind of reached this sort of maxim of like getting people like link contacting people and going, hey, we link to you. Would you mind sharing our stuff? Like that you do reach a saturation point and then you have to come up with a better distribution plan. So it's, it, it is important. I'm not saying focus on one or the other. What I'm saying is, is focus on, I think it's important to focus on the quality first and then the distribution second. But either way, they both, it, for long-term sustainability, you need both anyhow. That, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so... We've really, we've really drilled home having the standards here and the research process. You did mention something earlier about the feedback loop that you found was sort of almost proprietary to you guys. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I don't know about proprietary. We send out a survey um, shortly after uh, people subscribe to the list and we're asking, you know, things like how much, what's your, what's your income, what's your role within the company? Um, what are your top three concerns when it comes to this? If we were to create a course, what would you want it to be? And what that does, what that allows us to do is to have some sort of foundation as to where we're going to, what kind of content we're going to create. I mean, these pieces take forever to create. And the last thing you want to see happen is you spend that much time on a piece of content and it hit home with nobody. Um, So a lot of the stuff when it comes down to like, you know, what are the challenges you're having right now as it relates to, you know, the thing that we talk about, um, that gives us this whole sort of uh, list of things that we can just write about. You know, people want in pulling insights from analytics. Okay, you got it, you know. And the other part of that is um, I know at least one person is going to be interested in this piece of content when it's put out there. And my thought is is that if one person is going to be interested in it, then 20 people might be interested in it or 40 or 50 or 70 or 100. You know what I mean? But, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter. And, and it's super low tech too, right? We, we use um, 
Google Docs. It's just a Google survey. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. You don't have to set up, you know, any sort of paid account. You just have to know what questions to ask um, in order to serve your audience what they want. So I'd actually like to dive into this because this is a really interesting topic in terms of surveying your audience. I'll tell you, you know, this was something I rarely did. A lot of the feedback that I got maybe came from uh, direct emails as well as uh, comments on the blog. But how often are you surveying your audience? Uh, well, it's automatic. So anytime somebody subscribes to the blog, they, have, uh, they get the link um, to the survey. Brilliant. So as soon as they have an email subscribe and they confirm their email address, they get, they receive something that says, hey, thanks so much for signing up. Actually, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. What does that email say? It's a very long email that actually goes into like CRO 101 type stuff. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, it's probably a thousand word email and I didn't write it. So, um, I can't say off the top of my head, but the first part of it is like, thanks for some, you know, the first part of it is like, thanks for subscribing. Would you mind taking a couple minutes to take a look at, or, you know, answer some questions in the survey. Now let's get into some CRO basic stuff. Um, you know, and as, as we continue to refine things and work on things, I'm actually looking at uh, building more feedback loops that survey people, you know, three months into this, three months into their subscription, six months into their subscription, nine months in a year. Um, because if, you know, uh, if someone says to me in the very beginning of their email subscription, um, I'm a beginner, I want in three months or six months from now to hear back from that same person and have them say, I now feel like I'm an intermediate. Right. Because that 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 sort of knowledge base that lets me know that the stuff that I'm doing is actually resonating with people, not just from people who have subscribed for the first time, but from people who have been with us for three, six, nine and a year from now. And I feel like that's more that's important, too, because the questions that people are going to have six months down the road into their subscription they're going to be different questions. They're going to have more advanced questions. And I want to be able to create content for them as well. So that's what I, when I talk about feedback loops, I'm talking about that type of stuff. Now, if you're running like a, uh, if you ran like an e-commerce shop, for example, a feedback loop might, might be like, or a SaaS company, let's, let's use a SaaS company, for example. So software as a service. First thing, you, someone signs up, send them an email. Hey, why'd you sign up for us? Right. You might not get a super big response rate, uh, depending on how you format the questions and whatnot, but it at least gives you some idea of like what your first time buyers are, um, are thinking when they buy from you. Alex over at Groove HQ has a really great article on how they've improved their feedback rate and how they've overall improved their uh, landing pages because they started to discover what the first time buyers were thinking. And they were like, this is a great alternative to Zendex, right? I don't need all the stuff that Zendesk has. You guys are a perfect solution for that. Um, so they started bringing that information more front and forward and then they improved their conversion rates. And revenue is ultimately what it comes down to. And that, that's what the feedback loops are for, right? It's just to have that sort of like back and forth conversation with your audience and not just um, go from that sort of draconic, uh, you know, I, I am the business, you are the customer, you, you buy what I tell you to buy. You know, like we, we live in the world where like, I send my grandma email and I get company or email from a company, there's no reason why there shouldn't be a back and forth conversation because that's what the platforms are designed for. Do you occasionally follow up with uh, subscribers? Because you just mentioned that after you sign up for the email on the website, you get this follow-up thousand word email. 
I tried signing up just now, but I haven't received it yet, so I don't know what it looks like. But I guess I would sub- uh, suggest that listeners do go uh, subscribe to Conversion XL if you want to uncover the secrets behind Conversion XL's massive success. <laughs> do you ever send out occasional emails to the subscribers after that beyond the weekly email? Or actually, how often are you sending out the emails? Once a week. So beyond those once a week emails, are you emailing them for additional feedback? Um, not right now. That is something that I'm, I'm hoping to, as, as we grow, like we're building a lot of more infrastructure behind the production side and the publishing side. So as we continue to grow, that is something that is on my radar where it's like, you know, hey, I saw that you answered in the survey, you were looking for some analytics insights. You know, I just wanted to let you know that this is something that we're, we just published something on that. It's for you. I don't know how that's going to work. I think it's going to go over really well. And uh, some of the other stuff that I, I want to experiment with, and I don't know if it's going to happen right away, uh, is more of the behavioral email. Um, we actually just started doing this bounce exchange, just came out with a cool behavioral email type tool that will, you insert a snippet of code onto your site. And then what it will do is send email subscribers a recap of the things that they've read recently, as well as other things within that content category. I feel like that's really important because if I read something on landing page optimization, that's fantastic. I might want follow-up on that, right? Um, so now we're using the technology in a way that is going to you know, pay attention more to your behaviors and not just be a broadcast system. Yeah, that is most definitely something that I've been personally looking into. I've tested everything from customer IO with integration into my WordPress blog and I've also been testing a couple of other things. I haven't sort of perfected uh, that system, but basically what you're describing is more detailed segmentation of your email list to understand you know, how often someone's coming to the site, what content they're reading, sending targeted messages just to those people. Uh, that's totally where things are going. Yeah, Nick, I would actually, if, you're using, if you've used customer IO, I would recommend you check out our email onboarding article. Um, because it takes the concept of um, using behavioral email and creating this sort of quantum mechanics type system that's working in the background that will bring people through the entire uh, customer journey. Um, So from first time visitor to subscriber and then moving them through that lead funnel uh, using Near IL's um, hook model where it's um, trigger action investment reward, uh, basically working this sort of system that brings people uh, every, no, no two people essentially get the same email uh, funnel because no two people are the same or need the same things right away. Check it out. It's a really, it's a really fun article. I'll send a link to you. <laughs> I will take a look at that. And now that you're dropping words like quantum mechanics into email marketing, I have no <laughs> idea uh, what that means. But I, I mean, this is I, I could talk with you for a long time about how to drive content. Uh, this is obviously a passion of both of ours. Uh, but we've definitely gone through all the, all the time for the, today's show. Uh, what if people want to get in touch with you? Is there an easy way for them to do that? Yeah, you can reach out to me at Tommy is my name on Twitter um, or Tommy at conversionxl.com. Um, and then if you know you want to become a subscriber to the blog, just conversionxl.com. The uh, the the homepage actually has a link to our email subscription, and you will get thirteen tips to increase your conversion rate right away. I'm hooked. (laughs) Tommy, thanks so much for taking the time to come on today. 
Thanks, man. It was a pleasure being here. Listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's podcast. And I look forward to seeing you next week.